judge somebody for whatever reason. I think of one outlandish, crazy, creative scenario or situation they could be facing. What you're doing is distracting yourself from the impulse to put people in boxes. You're listening to Hacking Emotional Intelligence, a podcast from The Five Star Approach, which is committed to helping you build five-star relationships at work and beyond. Your host is the founder of The Five Star Approach, Tyler Small. Today we are back with Andrew Webb. I'm so excited. Andrew is going to tell us three specific micro behaviors and again that's the name of his podcast i've been listening to this podcast it's fantastic super engaging super fun and you learn about emotional intelligence and how to design behavior to improve your success in every aspect of life it's very cool today andrew is gonna tell us three specific micro behaviors so these are little tiny things that you can do to foster emotional intelligence andrew welcome back Oh my goodness, so excited to be here, Tyler. Yes. So tell us, what is the first micro-behavior? Right, so I think the last time we, we talked a little bit about Carl Akeley and how quick we were to judge not only people in the past, but the people that surround us. And it's a great trigger for all of us. And we've got to get really careful about how quickly we make snap judgments yeah. without considering their situation. And so what I ask in this first episode I talk about is a micro-behavior that really is invoking the creative state, and it's that sacred state of creativity that helps you just take a different approach when you interact with people and you have that quick impulse to judge. So that's the trigger. When I feel the desire to judge somebody, for whatever reason, I think of one outlandish, crazy, creative scenario or situation they could be facing. And the focus is identifying as crazy as you can get because the more creative you get, the more fun it becomes. All of a sudden, your energy, mentally, is focused on becoming more creative. (laughs) Thinking about something that's so outlandish that all of a sudden, what they just did to make it really bad takes backseat. Or what they said about your mom isn't nearly as important as finding ways to be creative. And that's why invoking that sacred state of creativity can be a wonderful, I would just say, hack for emotional intelligence. (laughs) So so when you say this, when you describe this moment, taking the moment, I think about when I'm driving to the car and I, I thought it was just a jerky thing to do. Somebody's like going super slow in front of me or like the other day there was a semi truck that was two feet over the line. We were in a construction zone and so the lanes were super narrow and I was like, what is going on here? He kept right. kept coming over to my lane. Five little kids in the back seat, right? And I thought, so sometimes I'm like, oh, it must be their first day, or oh, they're probably. Right. And so my story was, oh, it's probably having a stroke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such a good one. See, what I would say is, okay, you start thinking of details, and your mind can do this so fast. That's what's so powerful about the mind. You can do this in seconds. Not only does he have a stroke, but it's a, it's a congenital issue that his dad dealt with. And his dad was always somebody that loved alcohol. And all of a sudden, the alcohol actually was part of the family brand. And I mean, whatever. All of a sudden, your mind is going on 10 different tangents because what it's doing. It's
it's creating a story and it may or may not be true it doesn't matter that's not the point what you're doing is distracting yourself from the impulse to put people in boxes oh I love it. it's, it's 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 a quick way to do that i love it was abraham lincoln or am i making this up that said i i assume that Someone is having a, a bad day about half the time, and, and half the time I'm right, something like that. I've heard variations of that, but it's a good maxim for life. Because the truth is, we are all struggling. And it may or may not relate to our situ- the situation we're in with that person. But giving them the benefit of the doubt gives you just a moment to breathe, get your senses, and then identify the humanity, perhaps, in somebody. Okay, I want to I push back. For those in the audience who may be thinking... But if I don't nail them for the injustice that they're creating, they're going to cream my vehicle or they're going to gain power over my role in the workplace. Like they're going to make me look bad. Like they're, um, they're, they're a flop. They're going to destroy our company because, you know, I have to judge them and, and nail them for, for every injustice that I perceive. What would you say to those who might be thinking something like that? I think that's a very human response, <laughs> to be real honest. I, I think we all feel that. Are you making up a story about me right now? No. In fact, I'm thinking of a story about what literally happened to me in the meeting before this conversation. I was in a meeting where we were training a network of managers, and I hope he doesn't hear this. (laughs) But there was the person who um, came, and he wasn't engaging. Not only that, it was like he was gritting his teeth, and he looked so distracted. And it was impacting how others kind of had these discussions in the meeting. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, that, who is this guy? What is his deal? Well, 15 minutes into the meeting, we have a breakout, and it's just me and him all. Right, here we go. I don't want to do this. And then he says, and then he comes off mute, and he says to me, I'm sorry. I just got to the dentist, and I can't talk. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, Andrew, you've got a lot to learn still. <laughs> So I needed that micro behavior, to be honest. <laughs> I love it. So the first micro behavior is create a story in your mind. Generate something that could possibly justify this individual. It doesn't have to be true. Just think of some some logical reason that could rationalize their, their actions. Yeah, and the emphasis is get creative. Have fun with it. Make it a competition. Make it a game. Because you're using a different part of the brain at that point. I love it. Oh, I love it. Then make it specific. Okay, what's number two? Okay, number two is a story I tell people. In one of my episodes, we talk about a boxer named Andy Bowen, who around the turn of the century fought in a boxing match that was the longest boxing match on record. Now, this was before Queensberry rules were introduced. And I won't give away the secrets, but I will just say it lasted well over seven hours. Oh. And if you can imagine the blood, the guts, the grit this guy had to get through it. But here's the funny thing. As you read this story today on sports blogs, and he's talked to different sports writers, they love telling the story because it's a rocky story, right? Mm -hmm. It just matters. Well... The truth is, if you go a little deeper in the research, there's much more to the story. And that's the truth about all stories. They have such a powerful impact that we pick and choose what elements matter and why. Mm. And then I talk a little bit about what 
happened to him a year later as a result of the fight, and how perhaps boxing wasn't nearly as glorious as we made it out to be as he got punched one more time and died in the ring. And all of a sudden, the glory and the fight for what you believe in, the mentality, and the Rocky music, and the inspiration doesn't seem so glorious. And in this episode, I just really refer to what I call a microbehavior story matching. So that's the microbehavior. But I ask people, just be a little deliberate about what stories they want to tell and why. So before important events, just write down three elements of that story that you want to emphasize. And there's a real powerful impact that stories have. Researchers have done a lot of uh, work on this, and the literature shows us that when we hear a person's story, as I'm telling you just real quickly the story about Andy Bowen in the boxing match getting punched in the nose, your mind through mirror neurons, is what we call them, is literally recreating the story for you as if you're experiencing it yourself. Mm-hmm. So if I'm telling a story about, and they've done, and they tell this quick story, it's a one line, John picked up the ball, right? Okay. Or John kicks the ball. That's the story they told them. Yeah. Well, if somebody hears that, not only are they hearing the language processing of John kicked the ball, but they're also using the motor responses in their brain where their leg is involved as if they were kicking the ball themselves. Stories are so powerful, we underestimate their impact. And that's why story matching, this micro-behavior, draws in the power of stories to help influence and communicate your message to people. Story matching. Yep. So why do they call it story matching? You're thinking of a story and you're... Yeah, yeah, good question. I, I call it story matching because you want to identify if you listen to the episode. I call it this because you want to identify the situation and the outcome you're looking for. And then match a story that may help you get there. The key imagery, the strong imagery that will help convey that message. I am not following. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. If you match, if you're, you're matching a story to a situation. That's what you're doing. You're okay. Matching a story to the situation. Oh. And, and so what kind of situation would we do this in? Any situation that you're hoping to have a better impact or create more effective communication. That could be a lunch with your estranged brother. That could be trying to convince a boss of a new project. That could be convincing your wife that it's worth it to go fish in Alaska. All of those are important situations that you're hoping for an outcome. The best way to do that is effectively tell a story. I see it. So story matching is just like bringing a story that matches with those specific elements that you're looking for. So figuring out, okay, what does this person need to feel what do I want to help this person feel? And then bringing a story that helps them feel that way. Correct. That's a good way of putting it. Let's go to the third one. The third one I thought that might be helpful is creating what we call intentional metaphors. In this episode, I really refer to a, a famous metaphor that we use all the time. And that is time is money. Well, what's ironic about when we use these metaphors is not only does that help us create a better understanding two very different concepts, both time, which has nothing to do with the financial currency, and money, right, which has nothing to do with the way we perceive longevity and our experiences through life. So all of a sudden, these two things are coming together. But it's a wonderful element of what they call the neural theory of language, how language not only impacts how we see the world, but the way we act within it. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we create experiences or when we look back on our experiences, whether we recognize it or not, we're often creating metaphors for what those experiences were. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a quick example. I once with my dad invested in a, a startup. We had no business investing in the startup. I can tell you now it was a mistake after the fact. We didn't know the industry at all, but I was looking forward to the idea of just being with my dad, working on a project together, and having what was a passive investment. Well, we overestimated the capacity of the founders. They really didn't understand what perhaps they had communicated, and we thought that their experience would help them, but it wasn't the right kind of experience. So that meant we were going to lose a hefty chunk of money. Mm. So we came in and we had to kind of dismiss all of our other projects, other jobs, and work full time at this to try and salvage an investment. Mm-hmm. Tyler, it was such a brutal experience where we had to learn an industry, learn a product, things that we didn't know about. We made so many mistakes. I got so I took psychological ownership of the investment. I started to get ulcers. Oh. I lost twenty pounds with stress. And in the end, when we looked at each other, we had one more shot. And I remember my dad explicitly saying to me, son, look, we can close the doors and just take a haircut. Or we can give it one more shot. And we decided to give it one more shot. We decided to do everything our way as opposed to how else the other founders were doing. And we got a great designer in. We designed a really fabulous product that helped people keep their habits on weight loss, which was the product at the time. And just as we did that, we started to get momentum. And the second we got momentum, Tyler, we sold, right? We sold that baby. You know. But it was such a brutal experience, and I told the experience often using language that related it as a battle. That experience was a battle for me. Mm. And as a result, I not only saw that experience as a battle, but the, uh, the behaviors I took with people. I would go into meetings with founders now with armor. Right? These are people who had startup companies. I had nothing to do with that experience, but I had armor. Or I remember an experience where I looked in the mirror during it and my face was sunken in. My weight was way down. I had gray under my eyes and I looked in the mirror and I felt beaten. Oh. Do you hear the language? Yeah. How the language we use impacts how we perceive not only the experience itself, but also what we do as a result and the kinds of behaviors we're willing to take. So intentional metaphors is with microbehavior, and I help people walk through a process where they can re-language their experiences for, instead of identifying ways that the experience made them feel, you identify what the experience did for you, and creating metaphors around them as well. Wow. So, to give you an idea of what I did for this one, is I go through the process, think of different ways that this experience did positive things in my life. What were some of the positives that came from it? And then I think about, well, okay, what are some of the potential metaphors about those positives? Well, one of the things that it did for me is it taught me patience. What are some of the things that teach you patience? Well, you go into the doctor, waiting in line. That takes you patience. Go to the DMV. And all those are great potential metaphors or some kind. And then I thought, you know what else? Going to church. As a little kid, that was always tough. And, oh, yeah. and you just know when you do intentional metaphors, okay, that's it. So this, <laughs> the new metaphor, for, instead of a battle, the new metaphor for me was this investment experience was like a child sitting through church. <laughs> and do you know what happens as a result? 
as I go and think about my own experiences now with founders, I'm not going in armor. I'm thinking about trying to soak in the information from a founder uh-huh. or somebody who's in the company, right? I'm anxious to learn. Or if I talk to people now with interesting personalities that may be similar, I don't see them as egos like I may have been or an adversary, right? That adversarial language. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I see them as potential speakers. They're giving a talk that I'm Ah. The language matters. How we describe the language of our life has an impact on the behaviors we're going to adopt as a result. Oh, I love it. And I think Brene Brown would be proud taking off the, the armor when we walk in the meeting. Taking off the armor, great point. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I see you in, in a meeting and you always have a little notebook. You're always taking notes as if it were a speaker at a, a TED Talk. You're always acting as if it, you were at a TED Talk, like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> Just like you're always yeah, absorbed. You're always learning something. But think about it, though. The way you framed these experiences, here's what's true. John Dewey refers to this. We don't learn from our experiences. We learn from reflecting. Uh-huh. Oh, I love that. That's very cool. So hopefully those will help your listeners. Those are some ones that we talk about in our different episodes and that might be a start. Yes. So for more context, go to the Microbehaviors podcast. It is excellent. It's highly produced and it's powerful. It'll suck you right in. You'll want to listen to every episode. Andrew, this has been such a pleasure and I look forward to uh, hopefully doing it again sometime. Oh, it's been such a treat. Thank you, my friend. I'm Tyler Small and this is Hacking Emotional Intelligence. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please consider sharing it. If you'd like to learn about the five-star approach or join the conversation, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as at our website, fivestarapproach.com. That's the number five star approach.